Hello, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 9 of Building Wealth on the Go. Today is February 25th, 2021, and I'm your host, Brad Wilson. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Courtney Beach, and on today's episode, we are very pleased to have a special guest, Shelly Dewan, join us. Shelly is the head of ESG analysis at Van City Investment Management Group, based in Vancouver. Shelly is responsible for enhancing ESG integration processes and frameworks for the investment team. Van City Investment Management Group is the money manager behind the IA Clarington Enhanced Socially Responsible Mutual Funds. And prior to joining Van City Investment Management in 2011, Shelly gained six years of financial industry experience in a branch facing and corporate roles at Van City, including as an ethical policy specialist, where she was responsible for the corporate ethical risk analysis of high profile business relationships. Shelly holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and commerce from the University of British Columbia and a responsible investment specialist designation from the Responsible Investment Association of Canada. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much, Brad, Courtney. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I think the great place to begin would just uh, be for you to tell us what led you into this space. What, what interested you in socially responsible investments, in, in ESG, and, and how did you get started in all of this? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's probably not the answer most people will would be looking for. It, it, I really happened to land in this space quite accidentally. I had a research and analysis background from my university days, and I was already with uh, Van City, and um, there was an opportunity to join the ESG team. And so, uh, for context, this was about ten years ago, where most people did not know what ESG meant, and I really didn't know much about it myself. I, I did a lot of research into the area before. Um, deciding to put, throw my hat into the ring for this role. Um, but I'll tell you what's kept me here. It's, um, it's, it's a really interesting area of work where you feel a lot of um, value in what you do. Like you're actually mm-hmm. making a difference and, and having a change. Um, and, and, and particularly with the advancing investment management approach to ESG investing, where a, a key differentiator for our firm is our engagement work and shareholder advocacy and that's where we get to have a lot of positive impact. And I, I think just through that work, uh, I, I've just developed um, an incredible passion for all things ESG, but in particular for uh, the amount of um, impact we can have just by engaging companies on issues that um, we're hearing directly from our investors, but also that we ourselves are quite passionate about as a team. Um, and so it, it's just a job that you feel really proud about an industry that it, it, I mean, it's, it's a huge trend right now, but 10 years ago when nobody knew about it and we were quietly always trying to, um, you know, pump it up a bit more and, and tell everybody how great this approach to investing is, um, it's, it's been actually, um, it, it's been really fulfilling this past year to see everybody else come on board and finally hear and see what we've been saying um, all along. Yeah. So what is your particular role at Vansity, Shelley? So my role with Van City is head of ESG analysis, and I oversee a group of ESG professionals who are responsible for the portfolio risk management of all the funds we oversee. So that's the IE Clarington funds. That's also the VCIM product lineup. Uh, my team also is responsible for um, oversight of our climate risk strategy, um, portfolio analysis, which includes our carbon footprinting and our impact mapping, and that's mapped to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And then what I spoke about earlier, a key differentiator for our firm is our engagement strategy, which myself, um, I oversee and our team executes. Um, And so, you know, overall, our role is um, to ensure that our ESG strategies are being implemented, that the overall risk is being managed for all our products, 
and that we're uh, communicating shareholder um, concerns to the companies we invest in through our engagement strategy. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, and I know you've touched on it a little bit, kind of how Van City is unique. That's why you love working in the space, why you love why you love working in, in ESG and SRI. Um, do you want to dive a bit more into exactly why Van City is unique and how it really differentiates itself? For sure. So our parent company, uh, Van City, is, is a cooperative, um, which mm-hmm. means we're owned by our members. Uh, we're the largest um, credit union in Canada. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's a company that's very values-based. So everything we do is values-aligned. Um, and Van City has been a leader, I would say, in socially environmental areas for, for many years, going back to our, our inception. So, you know, we were one of the first Canadian financial institutions to offer a mortgage to women without a male co-signer. And, and who can even imagine that being, a, yeah. you know, even something imaginable nowadays, but that used to be the case once upon uh-huh. a time. Um, and then, of course, we were the first to offer a socially responsible mutual fund. And that's, I think, Vancey Investment Management's claim to fame as well. We, we are 100% SRI asset manager. We are 100% fossil fuel free. And that's quite unique to our firm. We were the first asset manager in Canada to become a signatory to the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment. And now that's pretty much a standard. But years ago, this wasn't. Um, so a lot of firsts. Um, I think being aligned with Van City as a cooperative, being very values focused, um, just gives us that much more clout when we go talk to companies uh, because we're talking to them from a position of leadership, and uh, you know there's an element of respect there that okay they they know what they're talking about, they're leaders in this space. So I think when we go to companies, especially through our engagement work around an issue, um, we can we can go with examples of what we've done, and that that's quite powerful. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about some of the goals, you gen- the general goals that you look at for ESG. Do you have any specific ESG targets? And is there ever a case where those, com- those come into conflict with each other? That's a good question. I, you know, I, I think not really targets. Um, what, I, what we like to speak to ESG goals is more like priorities. Um, we, we like to every year identify what are the key ESG themes that we need to focus on this year? Um, so last year took, you know, quite a different approach for us. We, um, whereas years before, you know, anything environmental was the main issue with the onset of the global pandemic, we have to really pivot and think, okay, is, you know, yes, the environment and climate change is still important, but if we don't have a healthy human population, is that going to matter? And if people aren't eating, people aren't working, people aren't healthy anymore, you know, are we going to care about carbon emissions at that point? So what are priorities? Um, so I'm not saying climate change remains, um, a, a, you know, a huge area of focus and rightfully so, especially with now us moving into a, you know, a global economic recovery and this opportunity to reset a green economic recovery is on is top of mind for investors, governments, companies across the board. Um, but human health, uh, obviously became a number one priority and particularly with the onset of the pandemic we wanted to understand more so than ever how companies were protecting their employees what they were doing to protect their communities and their customers and then human capital management which i think you unfortunately never got enough attention um, in the esg space and probably the corporate space over the past many years you know definitely was lifted um, from a priority perspective you know, how are we ensuring that our employees have the right benefits um, so they can they can ride out this wave of the pandemic without harm, so they can remain healthy and continue to come to work? Um, 
you know, are we providing paid sick leave so people don't have to make the decision between putting food on their table or coming to work and infecting their, their colleagues? Um, so these are kind of issues that moved up the ladder. And then, you know, you also think about what else happened last year. Well, inequity became a huge area of focus. The Black Lives Matter movement in the mm -hmm. U.S., along with the global pandemic, was risen to what I think should have been, you know, a focus point and where it's been missing from for many years. So now we have reducing inequity, and that's system, uh, racial, racial inequity, gender inequity, socioeconomic inequities became a really key point. So instead of goals, I think themes become priorities for us. And then the other way we, we look at it is, is, is best-in-class practices. So we have our key indicators that we look for when we're, when we're looking at organizations as part of our screening. And you know, if we look at diversity as one of our key indicators, um, and we look at um, diversity in leadership, for example, um, you know, we have kind of benchmarks where we're hoping to see, for example, at least 30% female representation on a board of directors, but ideally we would like to see gender parity. And so those are type of the benchmarks that we keep in mind when we're looking at different areas and different criteria. Do they ever kind of uh, conflict the goals? Um, I think there is sometimes conflict, but what, what we try to do at the end of the day is when we're looking at any company and we're thinking of these priorities, the question we try to answer is, is overall the company having a positive impact? Um, you know, the, no company is perfect. There are some that are better in some areas and some that are worse in others. But if there's an opportunity to move those companies in the areas where they lag, then that's good enough. And um, because overall, if the company is having a positive impact on society, on, in the environment, and through their products and services, then that's the type of company we're, we're going to be interested in. And so even if there's a conflict of goals, we'll look for opportunities to, to move companies along that there can be more alignment across the space. Yeah. And further to that, yeah, this whole screening process and um, is it more, and I guess when you're, you're looking at those themes, you're trying to, trying to measure everything is, is it more of getting a commitment from the company saying here, we're here now, but this is where we want to go and understanding that there's, you're building that relationship uh, from an investment point of view in that company um, with the, with the, with the promise and with the, with the goal that they're, they're building on, on where they currently stand in, as you said, where they're lagging. Um, and how does that factor into your screening process? Process to determining which companies you will invest in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it is something we look at. You know, sometimes you're going to look at a company, and I, I'm going to go back to diversity because that's an easy one to use as an example. Mm -hmm. And you'll have a company that maybe is missing. Um, it might not have any women on the board of directors, uh, but what they might have is a policy where they say, you know what, this is uh, this is where we want to get to, or they 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 share an intent that you know what we realize that this is an area we need to work on and and we're going to we're going to work that way and we're going to look to add more women or more racial diversity to our board but sometimes you don't hear that intent and so you might see a company particularly I like to think younger companies that haven't really developed their ESG reporting and policies and practices as um, as well as maybe some of the larger organizations have um, and so what you might see with companies like that is like, they're quite impactful. Um, so, you know, a great example of that is Azure Power, a fantastic solar power company based out in India. And they um, are a younger company. When we look at them um, based on ESG, traditional ESG scores, um, you know, from ESG rating firm providers, you know, they, they kind of score in the average, average category. Um, but that's not to say they're a good, they're not a good company. When we look at them from an impact perspective through their products and services, they're advancing access to um, renewable energy and they're providing it at affordable rates 
Um, so we think they're having a great impact in, in towards a transition to a low carbon economy, but they have some space to make some improvements on some of the ESG criteria. And so overall, when we look at this company and we spoke with them, we spoke with the CFO and the CEO, we got this impression that there was this real cultural responsibility here and corporate social responsibility. And they really understood, you know, what drives um, ESG performance. And so where they might not be where we need them to be currently, uh, we knew just through our interactions, through screening the company and what we learned about them, that this is a company we felt confident and we can move them along. And that's that's part of our screening. And like I said, not every company is going to be perfect. We have seven key areas we look at for a company and there'll be standout areas, but um, through engagement. And I think particularly now the attention being paid to ESG investors and ESG in general, um, whereas before companies might used to push back and, and tell us stuff like, I mean, I'll tell you five years ago when we were engaging companies on the need to disclose their carbon footprint and carbon climate policies, <laughs> You know, we used to hear nobody cares about that. Like nobody wants mm. to hear this. <laughs> Investors don't care about it. And, and this is very serious. We heard this all the time. Um, yeah. You would never hear that today. Like it, it just no. would never come up. So there's a, there's just this huge change in sentiment from the company end where they're more receptive to sharing ESG information. And and they want to they want us to actually tell them how they can move along um, the spectrum. It was actually for the first time this year we had a company reach out to us and say, hey, can you help us understand what we can do to mm. improve our governance practices? Because you voted against us. And so that's very powerful. Wow. That would never have happened five years ago or even two years ago for that matter. Right. So what happens if there is a company, I know there is a move to for companies to go more in an ESG direction, but what happens if a company either doesn't fall through with the intent to improve or starts doing something questionable, what actions does Van City do to improve the situation? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, so we like to kind of look at it from an escalation um, process. Uh, so the first thing we would do is if there's an issue that's been identified or we're seeing a company, like you said, not following through on a commitment, um, the first step we take is just having a conversation with them. So we're investors in the company, we're partners, we, we view our relationships as collaborative relationships. And so it's using our leverage as shareholders to ask for more information. Um, so, you know, we've identified this issue, or, you know, you had made this commitment, and we haven't seen movement on it, can you let us know where you are now? Um, and most companies uh, take those requests quite seriously, and, and we're able to um, get a meeting with management or the key leaders in that space and they will generally speak to us and I think that also speaks to VCIM as a firm because we've been in the space for so many years and we're long-term investors we've we've built some really solid relationships with companies so when we do reach out they're quite receptive they know we're coming to them not from we're not here to have a fight it mm -hmm. we're here to have a dialogue and so generally those conversations are are, are really positively um, taken by the companies um, in the event that we have the dialogue and we, we don't get the information we're looking for or the company doesn't respond, um, then as shareholders, we have the rights to file um, a shareholder um, proposal to be voted, at, at the, voted on at the next AGM. And so this is very powerful because um, now all of a sudden you're taking this issue public. Um, it has to be disclosed by the company and every shareholder in the organization will have this information disclosed to them and they have the right to vote on it. And companies don't want this stuff to go to vote. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they, you know, they don't care about the issue. It's, it's because it's just better managed internally. 
and they'd rather work with um, asset managers like us or their shareholders to deal with the issue before it maybe gets a public profile or, or before it goes to vote. Um, and that, that works for us because it's very hard to get uh, enough votes to pass proposals. Generally, people aren't really looking at um, proposals that closely when it comes to AGM time, they will vote along management lines. Um, so for us to be able to have some dialogue where we have some leverage and we can put pressure on the company through filing the shareholder proposal to get some change tends to be quite effective. Now, in the event that doesn't work, the dialogue hasn't worked, the proposal hasn't worked, and we still think the issue is persisting um, and that it continues to be a risk and they're no longer meeting our ESG criteria, then we'll make the decision to divest of the company. And that's, you know, you know, it, it is no longer a company that we consider ESG eligible. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And do you see uh, a trend then because of your escalation process that companies are kind of, if they take notice that you're not happy with something, or there's something that there's an issue that you're, you're bringing to them that, especially in today's day and age, that they're more willing to comply with ways to make it better instead of going through that whole process and possibly losing, as you say, a, a company investing into, into their, into their company. Yeah, I would say more so now than ever before. Um, you know, I think the value and the power of ESG investors has um, been highly recognized this past year. Um, and companies now recognize the importance of ESG issues. So they're, they're, they're very receptive to this dialogue. Where it becomes a bit more difficult is with those huge mega cap companies like Amazon. And so that's where you sometimes have to take a different approach. And so what the really beautiful thing about responsible investing is we might have these competing firms, but as investors, we'll come together through coalitions to work together to put pressure on companies on an issue. Um, so Amazon's a great example of that. Um, you know, we've done a lot of engagement work with them, but we do it in coalition with other responsible investors. And so now you have, you know, billions of dollars talking, for, you know, versus millions, let's say you have, you know, a lot of different firms coming together, asking the questions, you'll have industry groups and sector groups. So you're you, basically this coalitions are built up of different bodies that have and stakeholders that have an interest in the company. And so the company is more inclined to answer um, at that point. How do you balance returns with your ESG mandate? Is it an easy thing to do or is it difficult to do? I guess it must have changed over the last few years with all of this movement and money going into the sector. So I think when it's like from our perspective from BCIM, we've always assumed an integrated approach. And, you know, we have to balance financial sustainability and ESG sustainability. We won't invest in a company that might be a great ESG leader if they're not um, if they're not passing our financial analysis and and vice versa as well. Um, so we're not really you know having to sacrifice returns for ESG performance or the other way around. You know they're they're both looked at uh, with uh, with similar level of importance and um, they're both taken into account um, and and we'll make divestment decisions for ESG reasons and for financial reasons but the initial investment the company has to um, has to pass all of our criteria and and you know at the end of the day we're we're a fund and our, our job is to make um, money for our investors and that is our goal and we believe the ESG risk management adds to that um, so you know we're 
you know, returns are incredibly important and um, as is the ESG performance, but one isn't, one isn't given further, more importance than the other. Mm-hmm. And, and to that a little bit, and I know we've touched on um, sort of factors and, and what happens if, you know, a, a company might not be abiding by sort of your criteria, but um, when looking at adding companies uh, to the to funds, uh, is the screening process start with your, your top ESG um, themes? As you said, they kind of change in priority or they change depending on the current uh, climate that we're in. But uh, is that the, your, the go-to? You start with that and you move on through maybe a financial analysis or what's the process in kind of adding new funds to, to your uh, or adding new companies to your funds? Yeah, so that, that is one way we look at it. We, um, we review our themes and we look for opportunities in the space. So just to give you an example, um, you know, circular economy and plastics is, is a pretty major theme um, for us. And for us, we look at it through a few different angles. So from the engagement space, we're looking at plastics packaging, we're looking at uh, pack, uh, plastics waste in oceans, uh, microplastics. And then from an investment perspective, we would look at, well, how do we move this theme along? You know, we're, we're looking at a companies from a performance perspective, companies that might have some great targets and moving away from the use of plastics or elimination goals. Alternatively, we would look at opportunities in biodegradable plastics or uh, plastic, uh, products that could replace plastics. So that's kind of the investment and engagement angle we would take. But the other part of it is, is just choosing companies to ensure we have a diverse portfolio, that we have exposure to the sectors uh, you know, relative to the benchmark. And so just ensuring that we have um, you know, the, the weighting is appropriate across the different sectors. Um, so, and in that, we're looking for ESG leaders and there's a few ways we do that. We do that through just a lot of ad hoc research and analysis. The, the ESG team is, you know, constantly um, working with analysts, reading reports, reading research, um, looking for different company names. We also do an impact analysis uh, where we can take a sector and we can see how companies are advancing or earning revenue um, in alignment with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And that's a key part of our um, our idea generation process as well is, is looking for impactful companies. And I'll, and I'll go back to what I said before, um, you know, ESG scores, you know, you, you, you take them with a grain of salt because they, they tend to uh, reward companies for a lot of disclosure. And so that's why it's really important uh, when we're looking for new companies that we're kind of adding this layer of impact onto that. And that helps us identify um, opportunities in the space. So it might be companies that might not have the highest ESG scores yet, but we've identified that uh, them as advancing impact and they are demonstrating a lot of potential. We're going to be able to work with them um, to move them along the ESG space. Um, so there's a few different ways we, we look to add companies and, and um, you know, and sometimes it can be honestly reading a, reading a, a newspaper article and you come across yeah. a new name and, mm-hmm. and we're like, hey, let's look, look at that. So we have, you know, the ESG team works very closely with our um, fundamental and financial analysis team. And, you know, we're talking daily and a lot of it is just in having conversations. Um, some of these great ideas emerge. Right. And on the other side, when do you side, decide to trim a company from the portfolio? Well, from the from the ESG perspective, it's usually when um, there's you know a major controversy, and we've decided that you know we can't no longer um, we can no longer 
justify our holding in this company uh, from the from an ESG angle. Like the, there's enough happened where we think the overall negative impact of this company and it, these controversies is now overwhelming the positive. Um, and that's generally wh- when we'll take it. Alternatively, it could be we've identified an issue that we think is going to actually um, get worse down the road. And, and there's been a trend. It, we've seen this company have the same issue over and over again. It's not being addressed. It's actually getting worse. Um, and maybe it's getting more high profile and we really can't stand behind this, this name any longer. Um, so generally an, an ESG decision to divest is, is usually pretty much controversy based. Um, and, and we're looking at what is the financial risk of this controversy to the company and, and, and is it worth it? Can we, can we absorb that risk? And if not, then, then it's um, time to divest. Right. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And, and I think just the whole, ESG landscape is is fascinating, and I think we're seeing it more and more in the news. What is your opinion and thoughts on where where are we heading? What does the future of ESG look like? Where where are we going to be in next year? In five years, what do you what do you foresee? It's well, it's changed so much this last year. So like, so what happened? I you know last year, I mean over the previous 12 months is we've seen this ridiculous growth. And I don't think anybody anticipated it. I think we knew with the, the pandemic, investors were gonna be more concerned with social and environmental issues. They were gonna be looking to align their investments um, along um, SRI guidelines a bit more, but I don't think we expected it to grow as, as much as it did. So sustainable funds um, hit 1.7 trillion last year, and that's according to Morningstar. And just in the last quarter of 2020, there was 196 new SRI funds launched. So that was just in the last quarter, um, which is probably more than has been launched in, I would guess, like the last five years combined. Like it's it, yeah. the amount of new ESG products hitting um, hitting the market, the amount of money flowing into ESG has ramped up. So. What else has ramped up is there's going to be a lot more regulation around ESG, and we're starting to see that happen already. So in Europe, for example, uh, they are um, introducing um, sustainable financial disclosure regulation. And what that's going to require is financial service participants, including investment firms and fund managers, are going to have to disclose how sustainability risks are incorporated into their decision making. Um, They're going to have to make more product level disclosures, particularly for those which are promoting ESG criteria as their specific objectives. Um, In the U.S., we just saw the new Biden administration has created a new ESG role with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and this role is going to be responsible for oversight. Um, And this is really important because with all these new products coming to market, there is no consistent definition of what ESG means. You can throw the term ESG in front of any product and throw it out there. And it, you know, when you have to dig into it, what does that actually mean? Like, what are you actually doing to be an ESG product or responsible product? Um, Because not all ESG or SRI products engage. Like, not all ESG products have active managers. Our team is internal. We're active. We're we're working daily on our on our funds and our portfolios. A lot of products are really just um, outsourcing to an ESG ratings provider or looking strictly at scores, right? So there's different ways about how how ESG is integrated into products. So I think the regulation is going to be a really key piece because I think it's going to level the playing field. It's going to require fund companies to all provide similar disclosures, and it's going to give investors a lot more information to make more valuable decisions about what is a quality ESG product. So 
we're definitely going to see definitely going to see that and we'll probably see that here in Canada I think probably by the end of this year or probably next year so we're going to start hearing um, rumblings about it um, but I think the trend is going to continue where people are going to continue to want to invest in ESG products uh, the demand will increase and before where we had to push ESG products now it's kind of this pull from the market which is really exciting mm -hmm. And um, I think we're going to see a lot more demand for thematic products, um, you know, clean energy products, um, equity products that are focused on equity, green bonds, social bonds, huge demand. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very fortunate at BCIM that we have one of the highest uh, kind of bond fund ratings. So when these bonds are issued, that we get priority access to them. But the demand is huge right now. So, so I think demand will increase and products will increase and we'll see regulation increase as well. Yeah, I would agree. That's what I'm seeing as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And just and to that point, um, do you think that uh, I think companies companies will see this, and it might even become standard within within each organization that ESG be becomes a facet of, of every business. It's just that is the underlying fundamentals. You need to have some sort of ESG practice, some sort of reporting, because that is where everyone's going to go. And do you see even investment management companies having ESG as a standard screening procedure for funds down the road? Do you see that as becoming a standard? Is this, is this the trend? Yeah. And I, I think it's the smart thing to do. And I think companies that don't do that would be taking a huge risk in, in terms of losing a significant proportion of a customer base. So it, it will become the norm, um, you know, I was thinking if one day the, the term ESG and SRI investing just won't be even appropriate anymore because all mm -hmm. investing will incorporate this. But absolutely, I think every firm will have an ESG component. But the thing to remember here is what is the quality of that ESG integration and what does that look like? And it's not going to be the same across the board, right? Everybody has a different type of fund management style and strategy and what ESG means to one firm and what that integration and criteria is, is not going to be the same for another firm. And so like, like in, in any other space, there's going to be leaders and there's going to be laggards, um, but we'll definitely see it incorporated. I, it, it's, it just makes market sense and business sense to have it incorporated and it will become more traditional. And what's really exciting is, you know, the term ESG has peaked in Google searches, you know, this past year, it's yeah. been searched more times now than it ever has before. And so what, what, what's exciting about that is that people understand it more. So, you know, investors and customers and the general public understands ESG more now than ever. And so they'll kind of, they're, they're more sophisticated and they'll know when they're going in. They'll, they'll, they'll actually demand better performance and, and more accountability from firms integrating ESG too. So a risk is ESG washing, right? That, that's going to be a risk that's going to come out of everybody incorporating mm -hmm. ESG. And I think just this pr public profile of ESG increasing and everybody having a greater understanding, I, you know, there's going to be more accountability placed on um, anybody saying we're an ESG, uh, you know, product provider, we, we have ESG products, there's going to be a level right. of accountability to back that up and say, well, show us how you do that and, and why what you're doing is actually meaningful. Yeah. 
No, it's it's quite fascinating. I think um, just as you said, the last twelve months, the ramp up, and then seeing where it goes from now, it's uh, it's just it's it's going to be exciting to watch. I think I know Courtney, myself, we're very passionate yeah. about it. So it's uh, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Shelley, so much for joining us today. Uh, this was amazing. I I know all of the listeners uh, have taken a lot from the from this podcast, um, and so yeah, thanks again for for joining us today. Great. Thanks so much, Brad. Thanks so much, Courtney. Yes. No problem. And so thanks everyone for listening. Uh, If you haven't already checked out our previous episodes, make sure to do so. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you for listening. Please note that the opinions and ideas shared are from the viewpoint of KLT Wealth Management. They do not reflect the opinion or viewpoints of Investia Financial Services, Inc. or any other partners. The commentary provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. You should not act upon the content or information discussed here without first seeking the appropriate personalized advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We try to provide content that is true and accurate as of the date of recording. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents. We assume no responsibility for information consumed through this podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Mutual funds and or approved exempt market products are offered through Investia Financial Services, Inc. Insurance products are provided through multiple insurance carriers and or approved exempt market products are offered through Investia Financial Services, Inc. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, brokerage fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments, including investments in exchange-traded series of mutual funds. Please read the prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.